book two chapter nine of strangers and pilgrims this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by john brandon strangers and pilgrims by mary elizabeth braden book two chapter nine can we whose souls are lighted with wisdom from on high can we to men benighted the lamp of life deny salvation o oh salvation the joyful sound proclaim till each remotest nation has learnt messiah's name it was a dismal coming home after all the glories of that london season there was a suppressed triumph in gertrude's manner which elizabeth felt that mrs chavanese london seasons were not astounding in their results we like somebody and his men she said we all ride up the hill and then ride down again the beauty of the family had not endeared itself infinitely to these elder sisters blanche clung about her tenderly and sighed and mutely sympathized not daring to speak of her sister's woes but evidently brimming over with compassion the caresses and unspoken compassion were a great deal more tiresome to elizabeth than the spiteful exultation of the elders i almost wish i had come back engaged to lord paulyn she said to herself it would be better to marry a man one despised than to put up with this kind of thing mr ford's name was evidently tabooed in the domestic circle as a delicate attention to herself but she had made her father tell her all he knew about her lost lover during the journey from exeter yes my dear he's going to put his old idea into execution he's going to the south sea islands as a missionary there's a kind of craze of his poor fellow and upon my word lizzie i think you are happily released from your engagement to a man with such a notion rely upon it the old idea would have got the better of him sooner or later however comfortably settled he might have been in england and he would have wanted to drag you off to some savage country with him very likely said elizabeth with a little sigh she was thinking what happiness it would have seemed to her to have gone with him to have shared his perils to have lightened his labours to have in verily the other half of his mind and soul what matter how desolate the region so long as they too had been together to have watched his slumbers in those long silent nights with no sound save the distant cry of some beast of prey to have died even clasped to his breast beneath a rain of poisoned arrows or done to death by a savage's stone hatchet when does he go she asked presently immediately he has bidden us all good-bye he preaches his farewell sermon in st clement's to-morrow evening her heart gave a wild leap at this she would hear his voice once more he would see her sitting in her accustomed corner in the old square pew below the pulpit could not help seeing her all through his sermon who could tell if the sight of her face might not melt him 
but his heart is made of stone she thought or it would have softened towards me before this he has only a heart for the heathen not for common human sorrows not for the mute agonies of a love like mine i suppose if i had any proper pride i should not go to hear him preach to-morrow night she said to herself but i think my stock of pride was exhausted the day he came to me in eaton place if that interview were to come over again i would grovel in the dust at his feet what is there that i would not do to win him back home hardly seemed such a peaceful shelter as she had fancied it when she turned with disgust from the frivolities of eaton place it would have been very well without her sisters but she had an uncomfortable consciousness that six watchful eyes were upon her and that three active minds were occupied in the consideration of her affairs she had not even the comfort of solitude in the night season for her tower was shared by blanche and she could not sigh or sob in her sleep without arousing that sympathetic young person who was unhappily a light sleeper she heard soothing murmurs of poor lizzie poor darling amidst her fitful slumber and turned angrily upon her pillow with her face to the wall like king david in the day of his sorrow she looked desperately ill next morning when the july sun shone into the tower chamber and the skylark sent up his horizons from his wicker cage outside the arched casement the excitement of her return vague hopes that lightened her despair had brightened her face with a faint semblance of the old brightness yesterday evening but to-day blanche beheld the wreck that one season's joys and sorrows had made of her sister i'll bring you your breakfast darling she said in her caressing way of course you won't think of going to church to-day did you ever know me to stop away from church on a sunday morning elizabeth answered impatiently that is one of the penalties of our position but if you are really ill darling i am not really ill there's nothing the matter with me you needn't stare at me in that disconsolate way i can't help it if i am pale a london season is not calculated to improve one's complexion you can send me up a cup of tea presently if you like i always had an early cup of tea in london and if you'll be kind enough to go on dressing and take no notice of me i may be able to get a half an hour's sleep that half hour's sleep seemed to have done a good deal for elizabeth but when she came downstairs after a cold bath and a careful toilet when the bells began to ring gaily out from the ponderous square tower at st clement's she was looking something like her old self she had put on her prettiest bonnet and had dressed herself in white the dress malcolm had always praised if the charm of a bonnet or a dress could only touch his heart and keep him from coconut groves and savage women in scanty raiment and other horrors what a strange thing it seemed to hear his voice once more in the gray old church to hear it and to know that this day was the last upon which she could ever hope to hear it for beyond that dismal mission who would dare to look she tried to realize the fact of his speedy departure but it was difficult 
his presence in the old familiar church was such a natural thing a fact that had been going on all her life it seemed to her for she could hardly bring herself to look beyond those days to the blank era of curates who counted for nothing in her existence and the church would be there still a dreary immutability the voice of a stranger echoing along the same aisle and she compelled to sit and listen while her miserable lonely soul tried to follow that beloved wanderer across unknown seas to a land that was more strange than a fairy tale his presence there to-day considered in the light of that near future had a phantasmal aspect as if the spirit of the newly dead had been with them for a brief space looking at them with kind and mournful eyes was he not like the very dead called away to a land distant and inaccessible as the regions of death was there any stronger hope of seeing him again than if he had indeed been numbered with the dead he too had changed since that day in eaton place he was paler than usual and his eyes had a haggard look as with prolonged sleeplessness but elizabeth dared not appropriate to herself these signs of deep feeling was there not enough in his parting with these people in the thoughts of the new life that lay before him to move him strangely not once throughout the morning service did their eyes meet he read the prayers and lessons in his grave firm voice with no sign of faltering every tone strong and penetrating as of old no fragments of sentences going astray among the echoes every word clear resonant as a deep-toned bell the interval between the two services was a dreary blank for elizabeth the monotonous machinery of home which had been so wearisome before her departure seemed still more wearisome now she shuddered at the thought that her life was to go on for ever and ever like this every sunday an exact repetition of other sundays the midday luncheon enlivened by an occasional dropper in the afternoon dawdled away somehow the evening service in the mournful summer dusk the all-pervading sense that life was an objectless business how was she to endure these things until the end of her days evening came at last the bells ringing with a softer sound in the balmy air the old church was more crowded than elizabeth ever remembered to have seen it before crowded with people who very seldom came to church crowded with those for whom mr ford had worked with an unflagging zeal the very poor mr luttrell read prayers prayers which elizabeth heard unconscious of their meaning while gertrude prayed and responded in her usual business-like way with the air of an ancient mother assisting at the sacrifice of her son very long those prayers seemed to elizabeth but they came to an end at last and in the deepening dusk mr ford went slowly up to the pulpit then as he adjusted the newly lighted wax candles on each side of him needing the light very little for his own convenience 
since his sermons were chiefly extempore he looked thoughtfully downwards and elizabeth looking up from her corner in the old pew their eyes met for the first time his so grave and spiritual in their expression with a far-away look as of a man whose thoughts dwell in worlds remote from this common earth hers yearning imploring despairing brief was the moment of those looks meeting he unrolled his little black-covered volume of notes and began the last sermon he was ever to preach in hawley wanting the fire of the speaker's voice and manner the depth of pathos in some passages the passion of faith in others a barren transcript of that farewell address might seem commonplace enough the things he had to say to them were things that have been said very often before at such partings it was only the man who was exceptional exceptional in his earnestness exceptional in a certain grandeur of face and manner which to that regretful assembly made him godlike he told them simply but with a fervour in those simple phrases a warmth in those subdued tones how he had laboured for them and loved them with what happy results with a love that had been returned to him sevenfold with experiences that had been unutterably sweet to him he told them how he dared to believe that much of his labour among them would be permanent that it was work which done once was done for ever that the seed would remain and yield a plenteous harvest when he the sower was far away labouring to redeem waste lands where no seed had ever been scattered where no sheaves had ever been gathered from the master's barns then with a sudden change from mournful tenderness to supreme enthusiasm he told them what he was going to do how his mission service was the realization of a hope and a dream that had been with him more or less from the beginning that had swelled his heart long ago when he was a boy at his mother's knee hearing from her dear lips sad stories of that far-away world where the light of revelation had never cloven the thick darkness where man lived and died without god of possible dangers to be encountered he spoke not at all he showed them only the brighter side of a missionary's career the grandeur of his privileges as a bearer of glad tidings the vast hopes that he carried with him as the regenerator of a people lost to their god as the very agent and lieutenant of christ himself he dwelt with the picturesque fancy of the natural splendour of that remote world amidst the southern sea he spoke of those groves where the breadfruit tree spreads its stalwart branches wide as those of patriarchal oak or elm in pleasant england where the leafy woods in nature's calm decay as glorious with an ever-changing splendour of hue unknown in colder climes where here and there in quiet valleys men and women live in an almost arcadian simplicity 
yet in their utter ignorance of good and evil have no such words in the vocabulary as honor truth or virtue while in other isles perchance as fair to look upon vice and crime walk rampant and superstition too dark for words to paint holds mankind in its unholy thrall he told them how those islands to which he was going discovered nearly three hundred years ago by a spanish navigator had been suffered to languish in outer darkness until now and how it was his hope and prayer to be their earliest evangelist he told them briefly of the far greater men who had gone before him of the saints of old time who had undertaken such missions and ages when their peril was tenfold and then lightly touched upon the history of later missions from the sailing of the duff downwards at the close of that farewell address there was scarcely one among his hearers except the miserable girl who loved him with a too earthly love whose heart was not warmed with some touch of his own heroic passion and who would not have felt ashamed of a selfish desire to detain him he seemed created to fulfil the mission he had chosen for himself god's fitting instrument for the noblest work that was ever given unto man to do upon elizabeth's ear the solemn close of that leave-taking sounded like a funeral knell would she ever hear his voice again ever in all the dreary days to come feel her heart stirred by those deep-toned accents ever again look upward to that earnest face which to-night had a grandeur that was not of the earth earthy now perhaps for the first time she utterly despaired of his relenting of his turning back to take her to his heart again he did not need her or her human love he had so wide a life without her and beyond her a life which she could never have shared since she lacked all the gifts that were needed to open the door of that divine city where he dwelt in an atmosphere of light supernal could her feeble aspirations towards things celestial her wavering faith have ever enabled her to tread the path he trod alas no to-night she felt how vast the distance that divided them and that if he had suffered her to attach herself to his career she would have been nothing but a clog and a hindrance for him and she felt with exceeding bitterness how easy it was for him to renounce her for him whose soul was lifted to the very gates of heaven by those splendid dreams with which she had no sympathy she thought with miserable self-scorn of her fancy that he would have found his life unendurable without her that she must needs be as necessary to his existence as he was to hers poor deluded fool she had taken no account of his one supreme ambition when she made that calculation she had thought of him only as a weak creature like herself the slave of an earthly passion throughout that eloquent sermon she had hardly taken her eyes from his face but not often had his glance 
trot downwards to the dusky corner where she sat a white still figure phantom-like in the uncertain light her gaze for the most part was directed far beyond her to the mass of shabbily dressed listeners who crowded the other end of the church his peculiar flock those english heathens he had found in the lanes and byways of hawley and its neighboring villages some of whom had walked half a dozen miles to hear his farewell there had been a good deal of quiet crying among the women but no dramatic or oratorical display of emotion on the part of the preacher yet every one felt that he was deeply moved that it was not without profound sorrow he bade them such a long good-bye there was a solemn hush as he came down from the pulpit and for some breathless moments the people stood motionless looking after him then came a favorite hymn from greenland's icy mountains a hymn which the congregation sang with faltering voice tremulous sopranos among the young ladyhood of hawley testifying to the esteem in which the curate had been held no sound of elizabeth's voice mingled with that psalmody gertrude sang in a high soprano with a tremolo which she affected at all times and the air of a martyr making melody as she marched towards the stake and it seemed as if that shrill peal drew mr ford's attention to the vicar's pew he looked that way and saw elizabeth standing like a statue with a face as white as her gown End of Book Two, Chapter Nine. Recording by John Brandon.